Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today's episode is brought to you by Healthy Nest. Joining me today is Professor Suni Luther who's a professor emeritus at Columbia University and actually was my first advisor in graduate school. So it's wonderful for me to be here with her. She's also the chief research officer at Authentic Connections, which is a nonprofit she founded. Now, today we're talking about child resilience, but in a totally different context, which is in the context of mother well-being. Because we know that if we want children to do well under stress, the most important thing to do is first make sure that their caregivers are doing well also. So in honor of Maternal Mental Health Month, I thought it would be a wonderful opportunity to talk about ways that we know from the research and we also know intuitively that we can thrive. And to help have this conversation I wanted to include Sunia, who's done such beautiful work looking at children's health and well-being and maternal health and well-being. Put your own oxygen mask on first, and that way you can take care of those around you. Yeah, so this is, uh, of course, historic, unprecedented times, as everybody keeps saying. But for moms, uh, hopefully once in a lifetime, Mother's Day, to be this uh, alone and under this much stress and uh, and fear. Now more than ever, it's time for us to be taking care of moms and helping them take care of each other. When you talk about taking care of moms, I can hear some people thinking, well, who has time for that? And um, just saying, I, I can't do that right now. I have to do homeschooling and I have to make sure that my kids are fed and the house is cleaned and I'm being uh, connected with my family and the list goes on. So I I wonder how we can address how important it is that it's not a luxury to take care of mom, but a necessity. Yeah, you know, we're not talking about something like it it requires two hours every day or even one hour every day. I'm talking about perhaps giving one hour a week to connecting with people with whom you feel safe, with, with whom you feel sort of comforted and loved. Give one hour a week to connect with them and make sure that that happens. And beyond that, you know, you can text each other and WhatsApp each other, but just know that these people are there for you. I don't think that's too much to ask to say one hour a week uh, for for mothers to be uh, giving that to themselves. So just to to put it in context, so one of the things that 
you've done a lot of research on is the benefit of mothers connecting mm-hmm. in authentic ways with other sister moms. So that's yes. where this is coming from. I was on a consensus study in the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, and they put out this report last year, 2019, called Vibrant and Healthy Kids. That's a comprehensive study on how do we maximize well-being among all kids who are at risk for one reason or another. And the single most important take-home message was this. If you want a child to do well under adverse circumstances, regardless of what those adverse circumstances are, the most important thing is to ensure the well-being of the primary caregivers who are in their lives all the time. So child development sort of turns on its head a little bit. Instead of telling moms what you should do and what you shouldn't do and teaching moms about good parenting and bad parenting, this is coming from one of the highest authorities, scientific authorities in in the country, in the world, saying that, all right, we've come to a consensus. If you want a child to be doing well, make sure that the primary caregiver, who's usually the mom, is doing well. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? It means giving mothers exactly the same thing that mothers are required to give to their children, which is that consistent, dependable love and support that the child is secure and knowing is always going to be there. In other words, that mom is secure, is knowing is always going to be there. Mm-hmm. What I want to tap into is how can you be available uh, with all of this pressure that moms have to be so amazing as mothers and have these incredible close connections with their children without having space to be cared mm-hmm. for and feel secure in their own interactions with adults who can support them. So, Elisa, now more than ever, you know, even the strongest, the brightest, the most successful, competent, well-trained, you name it, All of us, with all those attributes, are feeling afraid right now. How could we not? Are feeling sad. The question is not, you know, how you're feeling. The question is how you're doing. How bad are you feeling today is what a friend of mine said to me the other day. It's, it's, you know, from medium to upset to unraveling. So, you know, you stop and say that, is this hyperbole? Am I exaggerating? No. Everything is topsy-turvy, is unpredictable. And that's the damnedest thing, that nobody knows when this is going to stop and how it's going to stop. So if you take a step back and think about this and think about even Maslow's hierarchy of needs, our very existence is feeling threatened right now. And we are the people, the caregivers, who have to comfort and support and guide and love our children. Well, who's comforting us? We need exactly that. We're terrified too. And yes, when I use the word unraveling, I feel like that myself some days. And then I just have to tell my people, all right, I'm really having a tough one today. I I need someone to just be be kind to me. I'm just having a miserable day of it today. And then there are other days that, you know, one feels a little bit more put together. But the bottom line is with this level of uncertainty and, and grief that is all around, We have to allow for the fact that mothers and fathers and adult caregivers need exactly what children need, that same comforting, consoling love and support. 
Hey girl, hey, welcome to Taste of Taylor, my weekly podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Strecker. You might know me from Sirius XM Radio. I mean, I was there for like 12 years after all. But then Howard Stern allegedly got jealous of me, so I had to leave. I was actually able to pull myself up by the bootstraps and start my own podcast, Taste of Taylor, which is now officially with Dear Media. I'm so excited to say that. Ha! So I promise you in this podcast, you're going to either learn about something, you're going to be inspired by someone that's like always coming from a perspective of like humor, then this is the place for you. I hope you enjoy this little snack. So when families are at home now and, you know, there, there is a certain level of inevitable and appropriate stress that everyone's feeling and those, that, that, that topsy-turvy thing that you're talking about. Um, what are some ways that we can explain to our kids that these are feelings that we that we have, and that of course we're going to be okay? But here's what we're doing to take care of ourselves. Mm. Well, you know, we say, of course we're going to be okay. That I'm not even sure that one can say that with conviction because I'm really not sure that I could say with conviction. Yes, we're going to be okay because I don't know, right? So my responses when God. people say what to tell children. Are you broken a gun again? No, no, no. I was actually thinking, oh, sh-, you know, <laughs> I was thinking, shit, I definitely feel like, of course, everything's going to be ultimately okay with a lot of maybe unknown and darkness in between. But you're right. I'm sure there's, uh, no, you know, know. That's, that's madness. And, uh, you know, that's my own coping that may or may not be realistic. It's coping, at least it's fair, because somewhere, somehow, we do need to feel like things will be okay and talk ourselves into that headspace and talk each other into that headspace. If we really all, you know, sort of sink into this, goodness, what's going to happen mindset, things are only going to be worse. So to some degree, I think it helps to say, yeah, well, I don't know that I can say things will be okay, but I sure hope they will. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is some hope, you know, between the vaccines developing and uh, different measures being taken. And there have been pandemics in the past that, you know, the world has, humanity has overcome. So rather than saying it will be okay, one, I saw one hopes it will be. And certainly we're all doing our very best in the meantime. What we need to be doing is to be supporting each other and giving each other the very best possible nurturance and support that we are capable of giving because God knows we all need it, right? Every single person needs that right now. Yeah. Uh, This is definitely a time when I'm seeing some of the most compassionate, beautiful support systems. And all of my groups have sort of transformed into support more than usual. You know, just as you were saying, like, Instead of focusing on the kids, there really is a lot more of a focus on what moms need right now. But I also wonder, you know, when people are worried about their kids, you know, if part of the weight of this is the the worry about their children missing out or their children losing out on these major milestones, graduations and goodbyes and transitions that they're missing out on for certainly the spring. And um, I see a world where that in particular is a weight we can lift. And I don't know if that's true or again, that's my coping, but I do see a place for this to be a time when we can worry less about how they'll do and mm-hmm. know, you know that the focus on our 
kind of managing how we're getting through this is going to be more important because I actually think the kids are experiencing challenges that they can get past and through, even though I'm not trying to diminish how hard this is on the kids. I just, I see a lot of hope oh, for, absolutely. for some of them. Yes, I completely agree with you. It's when There is something in between saying, well, isn't this horrendous? And you know, the, the dis- disappointment is so crushing that we can't get past it. And saying on the other extreme that, yes, it'll be fine. And the in-between is acknowledging, yes, it is a huge disappointment. It really sucks that you didn't have your graduation, that you didn't have the play that you worked so hard to be in or, you know, the whatever lacrosse season. So to acknowledge and, and for parents, too, who are, who are waiting to see these events, uh, mm. the children graduating and so on, it's very disappointing for everyone. So I guess the, the answer is to acknowledge in an open and honest way, yes, the disappointment is real. And it is not going to be the same as you know what it might have been had you met in person, the virtual graduations and so on. That said, we have each other. We do have your friends. We do have our relatives. We do have, by the grace of the good Lord, we have, you know, food and shelter. Mm -hmm. So let's take it out together and do the very best we can. And hopefully things will calm down to a point where we'll find some ways to make up for the disappointments that you've uh, experienced. Be creative and coming together and creating some of that joy that we've not been able to share in ways that we would have uh, right now. Yeah. I mean, I've seen such creative, beautiful solutions to things. I was at a virtual bat mitzvah that we went to um, a couple of weekends ago and, you know, we just were sitting at home and it was such a weird thing, but they really figured out a way. I, I think these teenagers are so creative and technology, this is the first time I've really appreciated technology so much, but it's it's made for some space for them to make special moments that are going to be in in themselves, really interesting memories. But here's the thing that I'm afraid to say, and I don't even know if I would cut it out of the podcast. I have a sneaking suspicion that for this one, you know, for some populations, this is going to be such an important event for their connection with their parents in a way that they would never have gotten before. And so, and I'm in particular, I'm thinking of kids that are at high achieving schools. And I was kind of wondering what you thought, because I'm afraid to say it out loud, because I, again, don't want to undermine the trauma that a lot of this country is going to be experiencing and the children are going to be experiencing who are in situations that are so dire where the deficits from missing school are going to have big consequences. But I also mm-hmm. kind of feel like in New York City, in these high-achieving schools where kids are barely able to get anything done and be home and have time to even stop for dinner, this is mm-hmm. an incredible opportunity. Actually, you know, you know what, Lisa, you should not be afraid to say it because <laughs> the data actually where you are, that they, they, you're, you're correct. The kids are actually feeling better than they were last year. So in our own work... Is that true? Also, it is absolutely true. We wow. have data on some 15,000 kids from high-achieving schools all across the country last year. And then this year... Since since COVID happened, uh, we basically pivoted and stopped doing the big survey. Instead, we've been doing this short sort of student resilience survey, which takes about 10 minutes. And we've been doing it for free for any interested school. And the data that have come in so far have shown pretty clearly that overall, the rates of 
serious depression, clinically serious depression and, and anxiety seem to be somewhat lower now than they were uh, last year. So wow. it, it, besides that, of course, a lot of the kids are saying in, in you know, webinars and stuff that I do and talking to teenagers, they're, they're talking about the fact that life does not feel as crazy as it used to with the running from pillar to post with one activity after another, not getting enough sleep. So just having more time to breathe and you know, a little more sleep and mm-hmm. a little more flexibility in their daily schedules. A lot of kids are saying that, yes, they do are feeling some relief from all of that. Wow, that's wild. I can't wait to see that. So what do you think the takeaways are? Let, let's pull out some of the lessons that, that you're seeing when you look at those data. Like, What is it? What would we take when things go back to whatever the next normal is? Yeah, it's sort of hard to say, Eliza, because it's, you, know, you think of somebody who's run a marathon and they're getting a reprieve right now and they're mm. feeling good with the reprieve. Now, the question is when life gets back to whatever state we used to be in, are we going to modify expectations? Are colleges going to change their admission requirements? Mm. Uh, are schools going to change the number of APs and you know sports activities and so on that they expect kids to participate in? I don't know the answer to that. What mm. I can tell you is, and you must know this, that there is some anxiety in higher education already about yeah. You know how many kids are going to enroll, and uh, what what are the numbers, and therefore the revenue. Yeah, uh, what is it going to look like? The same applies for a lot of independent schools, you know, and and so on. So it's really not clear how much we're going to ramp up to what used to be quite unhealthy in a lot of instances in terms of just the sheer amount of pressure that kids uh, experience to be going around the clock. You know, it may be that children and families and schools. As we share our data with the schools, we go back and share our dashboards and show them the data. It may well be that communities will come together and say, all right, we've seen this is like a random random control experiment, essentially, pre and post. You know, it's a natural experiment. This was then and this is now. And we're continuing to collect the data as we go on and on so we can track adolescence, depression and anxiety levels um, at schools such as this, um, you know, starting from March of 2020 onwards. That is just incredible. That is just an incredible surprise to be able to look at it that way is just going to be yeah. So it, it also, and along with the you know the sort of structured questions, we also have three open-ended questions. Uh, what's going well in your school? What could your school be doing more to support you? And just what's on your mind? Yeah, and all of those data. Are open-ended data are coded and categorized and given back to the schools so that every school understands what's on our kids' minds and what are we doing well and what could we be improving because this really is uncharted territory, right? So I, who have studied resilience for 25, 35 years, I don't have the answers right now because everything's different. So we're going back to the kids and asking them and coming back with the answers that they are giving us uh, one community at a time with you know what is especially working well in their home life, in their school life, with their peers, as opposed to what needs some tweaking. Have you had a chance to look at any of that qualitative data yet to just give some snapshots? There are a few generalizable trends. Say one of them, for example, is kids are concerned with the amount of uh, assignments that they're getting. Some of them are saying that teachers seem to feel like just because we're home, we can do more. more Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So that was one coordination among faculty, giving us homework and assignments, trying, you know, spread them out rather than 
making them on the same day or the same same time. Sometimes even technological issues can yeah. exist on one platform like Zoom instead of somebody saying Google Hangout and somebody Zoom and so on. We also do survey, the same parallel thing with faculty. So there's a student resilience survey in a faculty. Or, how are they, you know, how are um, they doing? Uh, it's so interesting. You know, one of the big worries for kids is parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worry about my parents and my grandparents. Wow. And one of the, what's on your mind for faculty, one of the biggest ones is I worry about my students and their mental health and how are they coping and how do we keep them sort of uh, keep their spirits up? And what about the ones who already were, you know, anxious or withdrawn? How are we going to be in touch with them? What if they fall through the cracks? So there's a great deal of concern all around with how do we stay connected and strong as a robust community? And, you know, when we do these, when we go back to schools and give them the results from this, it helps to bring these communities together, whether you know, the administrators have the data, bring it back to the faculty, bring it back to the students and the parents and say, all right, these are the steps we're taking to ensure that we have a, as robust as possible, given the circumstances, uh, a community that, that we can do. Wow. I, I'm so thrilled that, that you're collecting this it just feels like this is going to be so rich and so powerful. I mean, again, who knows what's going to come of it, but even what you just said is so interesting. So you mentioned your resilience research for the past 25 years. It's very hard for me not to ask you to dive into just a a little bit about resilience to explain what you mean by resilience and what, what we're talking about. And the most important things that we know from the literature that we know to be true for supporting our kids and ourselves. Just that little Mm -hmm. tiny question. (laughs) Yeah. So resilience is essentially doing okay in the face of uh, adversity or, um, you know, ongoing stress. So it's not a personality trait. It's not not something that you either have or don't have or have a lot of or little of. It is simply doing okay in the face of adversity, which means under the current circumstances for grown-ups or parents, are you able to do your daily life stuff and evade serious depression, anxiety, substance use, you know, evade that. And pretty much the same for kids. Are you able to go on with your daily life expectations without feeling that high levels of distress or pain. Um, What does the literature say about how to foster resilience? The single most important thing is always relationships. We have coping skills, each one of us, and we do different things. Some of us do meditation or yoga or mindfulness, play the piano, whatever that might be, go for a run. We need to do all of those things that we have been doing pre-COVID to cope, do them as much as possible, but always remember that beyond every kind of coping skill, the most important thing is having those strong relationships. So if there's one thing you should say is an essential, it's going to be that. It is relationships. So given that, I just, I, I think it's just worth mentioning that you're not just talking about the parent-child relationship or the caregiver-child relationship, which will be a critical component to the child and the parent, but that you also mean the relationships, the adult relationships that moms cultivate so that they have that same support system. 
Yeah, it's uh, somebody wrote today some, some about being you know social solidarity, and my response was to say we're not talking necessarily about social solidarity in the sense of communities, you know, neighbors helping each other and so on, which is also excellent. It's a, it's a huge part of relationships. But what I'm talking about right now, Elisa, just given the enormous amount of, as I said, anxiety and grief and fear that we're all experiencing, what I'm talking about now is that simple, comforting mommy love, if you will. Mm. Just that mommy love that all of us need. And should be able to have to be able to ask for and be able to receive it ourselves without the embarrassment or awkwardness of saying, well, how could a grown woman like me need or want such a thing? Well, the fact is we are at a point where that, that is true for human beings in any case, you know, at, even at, at the all best times, of times, right? At all times, right. We, we all need that at the best of times, but now especially it is time to dispense with that awkwardness and uneasiness and shyness and say, right, it is clear. We all need it. And it's my job to go and get it. If I have to maintain my sanity and my well-being at all, I have to prioritize doing this. And I, I wrote a little blog, which essentially is a how-to, <laughs> how to get this going and how to do it so that we go past the small talk and get to that level of intimacy and connectedness that is so comforting, that is so sort of reassuring and nurturing. And then that gives you that shot in the arm that allows you to go back and do one more day, one more week of the same thing. I will put in the show notes a link so that people can look at your blog. But what are some ways to get past some of the niceties and go into a deeper connection? The biggest, most important ingredient is you need to be connected with people with whom you feel safe, right? And this, okay. this could be someone from high school, could be someone who is in your mom's group or someone from work. But that's the most single, most important criterion is just, and basically just give each other that a feeling of, Elisa, which I've mentioned to you, I feel seen and heard and loved for the person mm -hmm. I am. Just exchanging that kindness and gentleness saying, what's up with you? How are you feeling? And there's no advice giving. There's no telling you, here's what you need to do. And here's how to solve your problem. It's none of that. It's simply sharing with kindness and respect and mutual affirmation and love. And that is the magic ingredient. And right now we have to come together, as I said, not just as communities and neighbors helping with grocery shopping, but just to give this kind of love and comfort and support when we're in, in so much pain. We have to do this. Mm. You have such a beautiful way of expressing things. It always makes me get teary-eyed. <laughs> yeah, well, truthfully, I'm teary-eyed myself. What can I say, Lisa? It's just a hard time and um, we have to. This is not a time to say maybe. This is a time of have to. We can't get rid of the virus in terms of the physiological and the physical effects, but we certainly can do something about the psychological effects by doing this, by st sticking together in this very firm and supportive way. What do you think the, the long-term psychological effects are going to be if we, if we don't engage in these kinds of supportive things? You know, we don't have to go long-term, Elisa. It's, it's, it's happening already. I, right. I saw this thing about uh, in, in Italy where there's been, you know, pretty stringent lockdowns where this young man who was in his college room, he said, sometimes I just get so crazy, I just scream. One has heard about, of course, serious depression and serious self-harm, people who are just isolated and alone for long periods of time. You know, it's a simple thing like, when you are in your workplace, even 
somebody waving to you and saying, oh, how are you feeling? How's your leg feeling? Or, you know, mm-hmm. how's your mom? All of that is gone now because, right. you know, we're not bumping into each other. We were lonely before COVID, right? Loneliness was a huge problem in America before COVID. That is that much more a problem now. Mm. And can the, the toll that feelings of isolation and loneliness take on mental health and physical health is pretty much second to none, right? Yeah. So just as the, the, the antidote to that is, again, back to relationships. We know what, what can be done. So think about people in your life. That's what I would say. Think about people in your life who might be alone, who might have nobody who's checking in on them. There's this beautiful song by Joan Baez called Hello in There. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's a beautiful song. You know, think about who might be alone and take the time to once in a while say, look, just checking mm-hmm. in. Can we have a weekly check-in for maybe 10 minutes? And encourage your kids. Maybe one of the things I'm doing with the schools is, for example, teenagers are getting, uh, high schoolers are getting connected with seniors in assisted living facilities. And yes. matched up like pen pals, you know. So, so it, important. we have to be proactive about this. Yes. You're absolutely right. Yeah. My mom's uh, reading to my girls every night and my stepfather together. And I have to say, it's so important to them and bringing them so much light. And I, we missed a night. We just got kind of yeah. rushed and whatever. And it took a toll on my mom. Like she, that yeah. was all she, I mean, not that she has nothing going on, but she was like, this is a big deal for me right now. We're so isolated mm-hmm. and that brings so much mm-hmm. joy. And I said to my kids, like, that is, that is a beautiful connection that you can have. And it is, you know, what you're just speaking about your daughters and your mom. And the, the one other thing, Elisa, that I to share with people is again, a big finding from resilience research, which is it helps us when we can feel that we're being good to others, that yes. we're doing, making a difference in other people's, that is healing in itself. Yes. It's healing for the person who receives your love and it's healing for you who are offering it. That's right. And bless you for saying that because it's so true. It's not, it, it really, I know for my kids, it feels good. It's, this is a much smaller version of that. But, you know, before when I asked them to do things around the house, <laughs> like mm-hmm. chores, it was mostly... Yeah a gesture because I'm trying to raise them well and make sure they're thoughtful. But now mm-hmm. I need it. Like I will have a meltdown <laughs> if they don't help. Yeah. And they're helping and feel so good at, mm-hmm. you know, seeing that their their efforts matter, that they make a difference for mm-hmm. me. And I, you yeah. know, it's more important that they're seeing that their connection with their grandmother matters, but um, it really is incredible how good it feels to feel like you're doing good. Yeah. I mean, the example you gave of your daughter's helping, uh, I think I said this to Jenny Wallace or one of the interviews I did early on when, in COVID, in the Great Depression, one of the things that was most beneficial for kids' mental health and resilience was feeling like they were contributing to their families well-being and even survival so you know like working on the farm and doing things for for the family that was and that's essentially what you're talking about the kids see what mom is got a lot on her plate right now and we can do something that is really meaningful to make her happier to make her better and just feeling that they have that power and they are doing it is again in itself reassuring and comforting it gives you a sense of um a great comfort. I'm doing something for my mother, for my for my parents, for my family. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to send questions to my direct message on Instagram 
at Raising Good Humans Podcast. And if you enjoyed the show today, don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, and maybe even write a little review. I hope everyone is doing okay and staying safe and healthy and cozy during this really difficult time. And I will be back next week. 